Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice. Crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 10, Episode 7. This episode was all about Eva. And throughout the course of evaluating all of her statements and comparing them to the statements of others, I think we learned a lot. I know for me personally, I definitely learned a lot about Eva. I believe that she created a false alibi for herself. And I also believe that Detective Allen was not, let's say, pure in his motivations when he decided to make Eva's statement the truth that he used to track all the other statements. With that being said, we've got a bunch of questions from you. Uh, I just got back from vacation, so we're not recording at our normal time or day. So no Zach today. It's just me and Mike. Uh, So we're going to get right into your questions. All right, let's do this, Bob. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You are up at four, baking pastries at five, and open at six. Hundredth cappuccino by eight, 200th customer by nine, and there's still 12 hours to go. That's why you need a business broadband that works as hard as you do. Introducing Sky Business. With 4G internet backup and our Stay Connected guarantee, that's better business. To find out more, visit skybusiness.com. Sky Fiber only, 30-second 4G activation or one-off credit. New customers, Pro Plus packs only. T's and C's apply. Our first question comes from Dez. I'm confused about the timeline. The state's case is Jennifer got a page, got up, dressed, brushed her teeth, went downstairs and said good morning to Catalina, went to another apartment, made a phone call, waited for a return call, and was seen coming back from the phone call. She saw Eva run to the manager's office, jump the fence, and went into Catalina's apartment, removed a piece of pottery from her neck, left and followed the maintenance man into the apartment, and checked for a pulse. When exactly did she commit the murder? On her way down the stairs to make a phone call, she decided to go and murder the lady downstairs? Because what? So the the problem is, there's a couple of problems. The biggest problem in, in Jennifer, in the state making their case at trial for Jennifer, is the fact that her attorney had never even taken the opportunity or the initiative to read any of the case file or the state's case against her. He didn't read any of Eva's statements. He didn't read KD's, youngsters, nobody's. And so he was at a huge disadvantage for cross-examining 
Evo or even for, you know, his objections or anything during during direct. He was he was woefully underprepared for that the entire testimony that Eva gave at trial. And because of that, Des, part of your uh, your scenario as far as the state's case, you're factoring things that you knew that Jennifer's attorney didn't know. For example, you say in your in your statement that the state's case says that, that, that Jennifer was seen coming back from the apartment, but that wasn't their case. They were able to craft their case cherry-picking only the parts of information that, that they wanted the jury to hear. And Coyne, who is Jennifer's attorney, didn't know that fact. So remember, he went through the entire direct examination without ever even reading Eva's statement. Then, right before Cross, he says, oh, by the way, can I get a copy of her statement? I've never seen it. So then he gets the copy of the written statement, reads it very quickly before he starts the cross-examination, which was an absolute disaster in my opinion. But he never saw her first statement and he never saw her follow-up third statement. So he doesn't know any of that. In the where Eva said that she saw she saw someone approaching from the direction of the apartments as she walked away that she thought was Jennifer, that was in her first oral statement, which Coyne never saw. So he was never even able to confront her with that. He was never able to properly cross-examine Eva because he didn't have all of the information. Then when Eva is is giving her entire scenario to the jury about how she's sleeping and Youngster woke her up. I mean, I, I think I said in the episode that that the the DA, D, D. Glaser, uh, was, had to kind of quickly re-sanitize uh, Eva in front of the jury. She didn't have to do much of that because he wasn't, Coyne wasn't able to impeach her at all during her testimony. Imagine if he had actually read all the statements and fully knew the case, and she says, well, there I am, sound asleep, I hear some screaming, I'm half awake, Katie's sleeping right next to me, and then Youngster comes out, and he shakes me awake and says, what's that? We stand there for a minute, we go out together. The jury heard her completely, she's clean, she's got an alibi, she's got two witnesses to the fact that she was asleep in the living room when all of this happened. Now imagine if... Coin had actually read the statements prior to that, and he was able to say, well, why did this happen? You know, why does Youngster say that he heard you going out the door? Why does KD say he, that he was sleeping in the, in the other room? He was never able to impeach her with any of that. He also doesn't call, even as defense witnesses, uh, KD or Youngster to the stand when they would have actually been powerful witnesses against Eva and for Jennifer. He never calls them to the stand because he doesn't know what they ever said. You know, in the 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 way the the state presented things, you know, if he just read Detective Allen's reports about his interviewing with Jennifer, in those reports he says that Jennifer changed her story once I told her that Katie, youngster, Eva, and the apartment manager's statements all line up and they're they're all the same, and Jennifer's is the only one that's wrong, and so it's like he just assumed that was true when the fact of the matter is, Jennifer, even though she was lying. But Jennifer said she was there with Eva when the screaming happened. KD said she was there when the screaming happened. Youngster said she was there when the screaming happened, all in different kind of sequences of events. But he didn't know that because he just saw what Detective Allen wrote. So getting back to, I guess, the, the root of your question, which is, you know, what was the state's timeline? Well, the timeline they used was, was just Jennifer's confession, which was, she planned this this car robbery two days before this. That morning, she gets a page. She goes to Janet. She used the phone. And then on her way back, she says that she runs into Ernest and Tim, who are standing there. And they ask her if 
the the lady's home. Then she goes and knocks on the door, uh, and that's after she's been told that Red Rock and June saw her knocking on the door. She says she went and knocked on the door. And then they jump in. They do the murder. They come back out. Ernest and Tim run away, and then Jennifer goes up and and gets Eva, and they start screaming. Or Eva comes down the stairs. Then after she comes out from from the patio, and then she acts like she's part of that whole that whole deal. Or or excuse me, I have to back up. Sorry, I'm a little tired after <laughs> after three hours of sleep last night. That's all right, Bob. But uh, no, she says that she's still inside. When Eva hears the screaming and starts calling out and she watches Ernest mimic the voice from inside. And then when Eva runs away, they all jump out and Ernest and Tim take off and she's still standing there when Eva gets back. So that's that's the that's the timeline that the state used. But uh, we know now when we look at all the other witness statements that that timeline doesn't work. It doesn't work out, first of all. And then we have this new, in my in my opinion, bombshell revelation that it, and I was just talking to Jennifer's mom this morning, and, and she didn't know this. None of them knew this. When I first talked to them, I said this to me. I wonder if Eva has any involvement here, and they and they said, no, I don't think so. I don't see that. I don't I don't see how how or why she would have been involved. But then after going through all these statements, and and and, and even Jackie, Jennifer's mom, when she heard them, she realized too, like, oh my goodness, like she really she pro- probably was. Not only did she throw Jennifer under the bus. And lie and in certain instances we knew we know that she was lying about Jennifer, but she also went out of her way to create this entire false alibi and false narrative. And in my opinion, what happened there is after everything's done, when the police are coming, when Jennifer says uh, and and Eva says that in Youngster and Katie that everybody they went back in her apartment, that Eva turned to all of them and and said, "You need to say that you were there with me and we heard somebody screaming from inside." And so they all are trying. Jennifer goes to the police with that story. KD goes to the police with that story. Youngster goes to the police with that story. None of them can get it right because it didn't actually happen. And it was very quick, I think, when they put the, the, the whole scenario together. But they all get it wrong. But I think they're all lying about it. All right. Lynn has a few questions. When was Eva's apartment searched the second time? Was Eva's apartment always available for her to use after the murder? It was available for her to use after the murder. It's a little unclear in the reports because of the, the way they're, they're, they're pieced together. But I believe they checked it. They checked her apartment the night of the murder. And then they came back and checked it again on the 31st, which was you know then, t- then two days later. Then that was it. But, but yeah, she had access to it that entire time. And also, the, what's not in we – didn't, it didn't come out yesterday or in this week's episode – is the fact that that was the last day Eva was in her apartment. Um, if you read through a trial testimony, some of it's in there. And then in, when we get into more Pam Wiley's testimony, if I haven't already posted that, I'm trying to remember if I did or not. It comes out that on the 31st, Eva put in notice that she's moving out. And then by the next week, she was out. And when she left, she left everything. Like she took her basically sounds like she took her clothes and just took off and, and just left left the apartment. But during that time, yeah, she had access to it the entire time. Next, she says... Have you been able to identify Tommy? Was Eva's pager history ever searched? There's nothing to indicate in the police reports that her pager history was ever looked into by police. And no one has ever identified Tommy on the record that I've seen. But I, as I said, that's something that I want to put a pin in. And I think I said in the episode that if I was the detective, I want to know who Tommy is. I think I know who Tommy is. Uh, the way she described it at trial. I, I mean, to me, it seems very clear at this point. I, I think it was already a known thing anyway for people that knew the case. 
Um, but I didn't, I didn't believe until I, I've seen all the evidence of it. But it's, it seems very clear that Eva was a full-time dancer and that, and that she engaged in prostitution out of her home and was doing that type of sex work on when she wasn't at work. And that becomes very evident from, you know, Red Rock, who's coming across the, you know, at nine in the morning, he's going to see a girl. He doesn't even know her name, just knows her as the Mexican girl upstairs, and he's going to see her for some sex. I believe that he was planning to go there and pay her for some sex. And then Tommy, she tries to evade the question at at trial, uh, but she's, she's, she refers to Tommy as just some guy. She doesn't know his last name, some guy she knows from work who has her pager number, who's paging her in the morning. And she says, oh, he just likes to disturb me. Well, I, I think that Tommy was probably a John uh, that was planning to come see her. And I think that's, I, I think it's important. Like as, as if I was a detective, then right away, I want to know who Tommy is because there's someone who's trying to get a hold of her. Very likely he's trying to get a hold of her to go to that apartment complex. And if she ignored him and he knows, he knows, and, and also factor in, remember, all of the traffic, which she later blames on Jen, but she very clearly in her testimony says that when Jen got there, she told her she's been complained on because of all the traffic. Well, I mean, think about what kind of traffic like that gets in. It's not just a couple of friends coming in and out here and there. It's, it's very, I think that it's very likely it was regular customers coming in and out of her apartment that got the neighbor Catalina's and, and June Sage's attention with her being upstairs. But so you got a guy that at least on the surface, it seems like it's a possibility that is paging her because he wants to come there for sex. And then she doesn't return his call or return his page. So it's someone who very likely would have gotten their car and driven there and, and went to the apartment and they just never looked into him at all. And, and I wish that they had. And, and if I had to, and this is just a straight up guess, an educated guess. If I had to guess whoever Tommy is, is likely involved in this murder. He is someone that we know that was that was in contact with Eva that morning. I am very, very confident at this point to say not necessarily that she killed her, but that Eva is absolutely involved in this. We know for a fact either Eva or Jennifer is involved because the wallet's found in her apartment. So, th so there's no question one of them was involved. And Eva's the one lying about an alibi. But I think that, that Tommy... My guess is whoever Tommy is, is probably involved in this murder. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Brian says, do we know if Jennifer went back into Eva's apartment on the day of the murder? It seems strange to me that she would sneak Catalina's purse into the apartment after the murder. I would imagine the purse was dusted for prints. If so, was Eva or Jennifer's prints detected? 
As far as the prints, it was dusted, and I believe no usable prints were found on it. We're going to get into forensics uh, soon. As far as Jennifer going back in, so this is the other interesting thing with the wallet. Jennifer did go back into the apartment. She changed clothes before she went down to the police station. But based on from what we, we if you piece together her t- statements, Katie, Youngster, and Eva's statements, I don't think she was ever back in the apartment without Eva. Like after the after the murder happens and the police are there, they all for for very brief moments in time have gone back into the apartment. So again, this is where I land on like Eva. Eva almost has to be involved because even if it was Jennifer, if Jennifer comes back up and she goes back into the bedroom to change, well, she doesn't. The, the wallet isn't left there; it's left in the middle of the kitchen. And it wouldn't have been anything that could have somebody just slipped in there. The, the refrigerator was pulled away from the wall, and then the wallet tucked down into the coils of the of the refrigerator. And she, I just don't think she would have been able to do that without any of them saying it. And Eva was throwing her under the bus every chance she got, and she never says that she saw her doing that. So, yeah, yeah she was back in the apartment briefly. I believe when she was in there, Eva was in there with her. Which again, to me, just just points the finger more and more in the direction of Eva, at least more so than Jennifer. Jeanette says, "Do Eva and Detective Allen have any kind of relationship or know each other before this crime?" I don't know. However, this is so. This is the mid '90s. This is kind of a weird cultural thing that some some locals from Houston, just in conversation, people that I know that I've talked to uh, about this case. Two or three people have told me they wonder if there was some kind of connection there between Eva and Detective Allen because the Caligula, the the club where Eva danced, apparently was known to be like a white strip club, which it seems even crazy to say now in 2021. But back then, it w- it was known to be uh, the patrons were white in that strip club, and also that. In the the quote white strip clubs, there was known it was it was it was kind of known that a lot of cops hung out at those white strip clubs. Now that that's all beyond even circumstantial, it's speculative. But that's just that's something is in the back of, that's in the back of my mind is is I wonder if there wasn't some kind of connection there. If 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 Detective Allen did know Eva or somebody else on the police force did know Eva from the club. I don't know. I, to be honest with you, I don't see evidence of that in the statements. I think this. I think more than a police cover up, this is more. I, I'm seeing more police laziness. I don't think they were targeting Jennifer on purpose, and I don't think they were letting Eva off on the on purpose. I think it was it was just the path of least resistance in the fact that you know Jennifer's not incriminating anyone, and then Eva just points says, hey, "Look at her. She whispered to me and told me to lie for her." And then Jennifer, of course, her story is not the truth, her first statement. And then she, once she admits that, I think they just went for her because she was the path of least resistance. Katie says, it appears really easy to drop yourself down to Catalina's patio from Eva's porch. Did they get any forensics from Eva's porch? Also, can we get June's age? Uh, first, June's age, I believe it just says in the report, elderly, the actual date of birth is redacted. So I haven't been able, I have not been able to find out exactly how old she is. I'm sure if I did a background check, in my opinion, in my my mind, I feel like she's in her 70s. But that's just based on the fact that they said she was elderly and she had to have her children come kind of help her because she was confused. Uh, no, there were never for any forensics taken from Eva's 
porch or Eva's apartment at all, as far as I know, as far as like fingerprints or DNA or anything like that. And a few people have mentioned the idea of them dropping down into Catalina's patio from Eva's. And I just don't, I mean, could it be done? Yeah, but it's certainly not easier than just jumping over the fence. They had a fence or railing around their patio that was the same height as the fence around Catalina's. Meaning, either way, they had to jump over a four-foot fence. So it's either jump over a four-foot fence, slide down, and then hang down and then drop down into the patio. Or just jump over the fence right into the patio. It just it. I don't see why anyone would do that. It is not for concealment. Like I think you could look around, make sure nobody's coming because of the the way this apartment was located. It was pretty private. See if nobody's coming and quickly jump the fence. Not so much if you're. I mean, would you rather be seen? You know, waiting around and then jumping a fence, or someone walk up and see you hanging from your patio down into the next patio? I just I just don't see that as a as a probability. This next question is from Aaron. Does the evidence support anyone besides Eva putting the wallet behind the refrigerator? Would they have opportunity to get to it in the future? I can't imagine a situation where someone who wouldn't be returning soon would ever bother to hide it that thoroughly. I think the key here is, is cash. Now, we, we, we can't say for certain there was any cash in the wallet. We know there's not cash in it when it's found. I don't think that someone necessarily had to return for the wallet because you know even a dumb criminal knows if you go using the dead lady's credit card you're going to get caught so i think all they would be looking for is cash and and i think that you know again if we're looking at eva as a person of interest here you know again it it, it makes sense with eva that if she pulled the cash out and now she's she stuffs it behind the wall well that makes sense because the pol- she's involved the police are talking to her the police are going to be searching her apartment so she she can't just have this wallet sitting out somewhere. It definitely it certainly doesn't point to, you know, the the two guys, you know, slow and earnest from from Jennifer's statement that go in and do the robbery and then take off. Well, they're leaving the scene. That they would just take they wouldn't take the money out and then what give the or, or just give Jennifer after all that work and killing someone they give Jennifer the wallet with the money in it, or they or they take the money and then give Jennifer the wallet instead of just taking the wallet with them to get it away from the crime scene. But it only points to someone living in that apartment, got the wallet, got up to the apartment, pulled the cash out, and then was like, shit, now what do I do with this wallet? I can't throw it in my trash. I can't go. So I'm just going to stuff it back here behind the refrigerator because I I don't need it anymore. I've got out of it what I want. I just need to put it where the police won't find it. Jennifer wants to know how hard it is to pull the fridge out to be able to hide the wallet behind it. I don't know about that particular fridge, but I did used to work actually just a couple, you know, in early, late 90s, early 2000s. I was a, I was a maintenance man in an apartment complex and uh, most fridges in general, but for sure, the ones that are usually in apartments are very easy to move. They're usually on rollers. Uh, so even though it's a big, heavy fridge, you can't side to side, they're hard to move, but to pull them in and out is usually, they're usually literally on rollers and you can just pull it and slide it right out. Donna says, Eva told Jen what to say in her statements for a reason. Do all the lies that Jennifer told help Eva out at all? Yeah, well, the, the biggest one, the, the, the one thing that Jennifer says now that she says that Eva told her to say was that she was there with Eva while Eva was screaming into the apartment and the fake voice screamed back out. So what that lie does is it puts Eva outside of the apartment during the commission of the murder. So it's an it's absolutely an alibi. And then if we take it a couple steps further, you you have Katie and Youngster also saying 
they watched Eva have this interaction from outside on the steps where she's calling in and the fake voice is calling out. As I, I stand by what I said in this episode that I don't believe that ever even happened. Jennifer has already said that she like that's just something Eva told her to say. She didn't see that happen at all. And then Katie and Youngster, again, that's the part of their stories that completely fall apart. They both, in separate rooms and separate interviews, give this, you know, we're asleep, we hear something. Katie says, I heard the door open and close, or I heard the door open. And then after I heard the door open, Youngster gets up, and then Youngster steps over me. They both say Youngster steps over him. And then Youngster opens the door and sees Eva going out the door. So it's it, they have a very accurate point-by-point symmetrical statement. The same things happened until we get to, and then we went out and the screaming happened. And then they're all over the place. It's like Pam Wiley's there, Red Rock's there, Jennifer's there, Jennifer's approaching, and then she's there. We don't know how Jennifer got from point A to point B, but it, it, it just all completely falls apart. So I think, personally, my hypothesis is that Eva told all three of them to tell that story. And that's why, and that was quickly done and none of them could get it right. But yeah, as far as what, you know, what utility there was for Eva, for Jennifer to give that story is that it alibis Eva. And I also want to add to that something that no one seems to have caught, certainly not the defense attorneys. And again, he never saw the, the, her original oral statement. But if you go back and look at Eva's first interview, she says that she went down the stairs. She was standing on the, the stairs looking into the patio. She saw the screen door dangling, and she says, and she saw that the sliding glass door was wide open. Okay, this is big flashing light red flag. Now, she changed that later and said, I don't know if it was open. But first of all, for any of you that have looked at the crime scene videos or photos, you know, as you're coming down the stairs on your right, there's, a, there's like a closet there. There's a, there's a wall. In order to get down to the point where you could even see the screen door, you have to be like at the bottom of the stairs even turning the corner towards the patio before you can even see that. In order to see that the sliding glass door was wide open, you have to be in front of the patio. Now, if and, and go look at the, there, there's diagrams of the apartment up on the website. You might have to go back to like episodes one or two. But there's crime scene photos, crime scene video on our YouTube channel. But look at that angle. If the sliding glass door is wide open and Eva is standing where she can see that the sliding glass door is wide open. And she was doing that. She was looking at that from that point in perspective during the commission of the murder where the state's case is that Jennifer and two men are in the apartment. How does she not see them? There is zero possibility she stood there where she could see that that sliding glass door is open and not see three people inside of that apartment. All of them would have been clearly with interview. Also, let's just ask ourselves on a practical matter, if she's telling the truth that she just goes down because she's concerned about her neighbor, and she screams and sees that the screen door's ripped off, Does it, do any of you believe that if Eva decides something's wrong, I have to go tell the manager to call someone? That before she does that, she doesn't take a step over and look in the open slider, doesn't even look, hears the voice coming from there, and doesn't even look inside the slider, wherein she would have seen the killers. 
nothing in Eva's statements are true, as far as I'm concerned. It's lie after lie after lie. It doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. It's, we know there's parts of it that aren't true. And that's, that's bigger than anything else. The fact that she says that she saw the sliding glass door was open, but didn't see anybody inside. And that's not even to get into the fact, and we can go through, and I probably will in an episode so I can, I can be, make sure I'm accurate on this, but you can track. We already know that Pam Wiley's first statement said that, that Eva came in and said there's a lady dead in the unit below me. And then later that became, oh, no, I just said she needed help. But then in, in Keith Truesdale, the other, or the other maintenance man, said that the manager came to them on the way to the apartment and said, I think there's a dead lady inside. And then there was, there's like this, this, like, this like ripple effect of witnesses that were all hearing things happening in those exact moments. And there's, there's two or three different places where people said they knew there was a dead lady inside before they went to help, which all became later, something's wrong, I hear her screaming. And, and again, she hears, oh, I fell and hit my head. It doesn't say we need an ambulance. She says we need the police. Kristen says, did they test Eva for any DNA matches? And if not, I wonder if this can be done. From what I've seen, and again, we still have to go over to the forensics, but from what I've seen, Eva was never tested for DNA, nor was she ever fingerprinted. They never, and, and again, so that, that would be something you would think. So the, the police obviously hone in on Jennifer within 24 hours of the kill, or within 36 hours of the murder, they have her with a confession, they have her arrested. and. They only test any forensic evidence and against her. They don't get even. So it would be a defense attorney leading up to the trial that would request a a warrant to get Eva's DNA or send an investigator to get Eva's DNA or fingerprints. And that was never done because he didn't even know. Like I said, the the family never thought Eva was a suspect. And and the defense attorney didn't, I I don't think, thought she was a suspect. I I don't know. I I think, honestly, I think he, I think, I think the defense attorney coined. I think he thought Jennifer was guilty and and he was just hoping, hoping to get the, the confession thrown out and that didn't work. And then ultimately I think was just hoping that they would take mercy on her and in, in sentencing. I don't, I don't think he believes she was innocent because he never even studied the case file. Sarah wants to know if Eva has a criminal record and if so, for what? So I, I touched on this in the first or second episode and I just said that, yes, Eva has a criminal record, but it's not relevant to the case. So I'm, I'm not even going to get into it. Uh, I think it is relevant now, not directly to the murder, but in a roundabout way. Eva's Eva's only record prior to this was a criminal charge of uh, lewdness or public lewdness. Essentially, uh, if you look at the, the case and the charges, she was basically arrested for prostitution. And the reason I say it's relevant now is not because I think that someone engaging in sex work is any more or less likely to commit a crime. I don't. I don't think that. I think it's relevant now. Because I think that this crime may have been committed or at least initiated by one of her Johns. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ron says the screaming went on for 10 minutes and was so loud to wake up the boys upstairs. Why didn't June, the next door neighbor, or anyone else nearby hear it? We're, first of all, 10 minutes is you're talking about some sleeping teenagers that that seem to think it went on for 10 minutes. Also, we don't know if that's true. That could have been something that Eva said to say. And, and also, I I don't think that we can rule KD and Youngster out at this point. I personally don't think they were probably involved uh, for a number of reasons, which we'll get into when we cover their we cover them in depth in a, in a later episode. But I think that. If we go back to my original hypothesis that the scream June heard was the body discovery. So if you hear, first of all, how good, how good of hearing does June have? Let's say just for example, let's just say not so great for any of you that have ever lived in an apartment. Well, probably not if you lived, you didn't notice this, but you know, I worked in apartments, did maintenance. So I know that most apartments, the connecting walls are designed in a way to try to limit noise transfer as much as possible without getting too deeply into the construction uh, where you have normally a wall between two rooms is just a, a two by four stud wall, straight line of two by fours. Most of the time in apartments that were at least the ones that I ever worked in that were built between the seventies and the nineties, the way they would frame them is they would frame them with a two by six. So you have a six inch top and bottom plate. And then the studs, would stagger every other so there'd be a four inch stud on a six inch plate. So all the studs holding the drywall up on say the if you're if you're imagining this in your mind, the apartments to the left, every 16 inches, there's a stud attached to that bottom plate every 16 inches on the left side of that board. But then there's a two inch gap between the edge of that stud and then this and then the drywall on the other wall on the other apartment. And then the same would be true for the other side. They would just stagger them in between there. Essentially, what you're having is you don't have contact. You have an air gap that's filled with then insulation between the two walls. So you don't have because that's one way sound transfers is if I'm making a loud noise and it hits my drywall and the vibrations go from the drywall through to the two by four through to the other drywall and out. The way that they would build these partition walls would be so that there was no direct contact. It would hit my drywall, my two by four, and then go into dead airspace. That's a lot of confusion. I'm saying a lot to say this. Most of the time, apartments are designed so that sound won't travel through walls very well. It's it's supposed to be that way. Not You don't have anything like that for a ceiling to go up to the unit below or above you because you can't really do that because you, the way they have to be supported. So if we have June, let's just say doesn't hear that great. And, and there is screaming happening in the apartment that's next to her. That is not only have a partition wall that's designed to stop noise spread, uh, but also the way that the apartment's laid out, there's barriers between the apartments uh, as far as, you know, there's if they're in the kitchen, there's closets, there's things. And if it's happening in the middle of the room, you also have if you have an open sliding glass door uh, that channels some sound out. There's a lot of sciencey things that I don't understand that I'm pretending to understand right now. Just saying, there's a lot of reasons why someone could be making noise in that apartment and an elderly lady that maybe doesn't hear so great but with maybe a TV on wouldn't have heard in the other apartment. As opposed to 
Whereas if someone's directly above in a, in a quiet apartment where you're sleeping, then in, in the, and you don't have that sound barrier underneath you, I think it's, e- it's easy to explain why the person directly above her screaming would hear her, but the person in, that's awake in the apartment on the other side that's maybe has a TV on wouldn't have heard that. But then the one single scream she does hear, first of all, she's been alerted now. Someone knocks on her door. She goes over. She looks. She sees a shady situation she doesn't like until so she's, she's on alert. And then she hears the one blood, she hears some kind of commotion next door, and then hears a blood-curdling scream, one scream. Well, if that scream occurred where I think it occurred, which I think it's, which I, one thing I want to do is try to track down Pam Wiley and, and see if I can ask this question. Uh, but if they opened the door, saw her body, and stepped back and screamed, now they're outside, two feet away from June's door that doesn't have all that sound barrier. It's just, it's nothing between her and the screen, but a door after she's been alerted. I know it's a long explanation to a short question, but that's that's how I've processed through that question. Kim says, Bob, I thought I remembered you saying in a previous episode that you didn't consider Eva a suspect, but this episode only confirms what I previously thought, that she is, at the very least, involved. Have you changed your mind? Yeah, I have. I, there's always people, right, every season that that say, oh, well, Bob's got a bias and Bob, Bob's already got his mind made up before he takes the case. I hope this demonstrates exactly that that's what I've always been saying. That's not true. I, take a, I do a pre-screening and, and do some investigative work before I decide to take a case. From that point forward, I, it was, if I had my phone sitting here, I'd read you my text with, with Jennifer's mom, Jackie. She just said that you know I was a little concerned at the beginning of this because you sounded like you thought Jennifer might be guilty. And I did. And it's not that I thought she might be guilty. What it is, is once I take the case and I start an investigation, I throw every preconceived notion out and I start from the beginning. I start from scratch. I go to ground zero. As I've mentioned many times, I don't rely on trial transcripts because if you look at the trial transcripts of this case, you have a whole different view on it than if you look at the police reports. I dig into the police reports. I look at very early statements. I do a thorough investigation. And at the beginning, I didn't consider Eva a suspect because I had no reason to. And the communication I had had with the family, it was the only people I knew that were attached to the case, and um, and a couple of advocates who had been working on this case for a long time all said, you know, I mentioned, well, you think Eva might be involved? And they all just, they didn't say, like, sorry, no, she couldn't have been. They were all just like, eh, I don't really see that. I don't think so. So, yeah, it, it kind of, the, I guess if I had a preconceived notion, it was like, well, I mean, They've been looking at this case for a really long time, and they don't think she is, so she probably is not, she's probably not. But then we start the process. And I know this has been a tough process, and I hope, I hope that you guys are, are we're getting some payoff for it now. But you know, th- those boring episodes breaking down those statements are critical importance. What I'm doing here week by week by week, every season, is asking for your help in my investigation. I'm not, I don't spend my weeks creating an episode. I spend my time and my weeks investigating this case as an investigator and then crafting that into a narrative that I can tell as a, in a story form. And so what you were hearing was me going, and it wasn't my plan. And Mike, Mike can attest to this. I had an eight-episode story arc written out on the whiteboard. Right, yep. That, w- that was my plan. This is how I think that these first eight episodes will shake out. But then as we're investigating, it's like, oh, well, I'm finding new information. We've got to divert from that. 
even though it might be more entertaining to do an episode about this subject, it's not the time for that because I haven't answered this question yet. I need the answer to this question before I can talk about that. Uh, and, and so that's how this process works. And through that, yes, my initial preconceived notion based on very little information was that Eva wasn't involved. Now that I have all this information, uh, if you factor in the lying about the alibi, the lies Jennifer says Eva told her to tell, if if Jennifer's telling the, telling the truth about that, are also adding additional alibis to it. And then when you add in what I mentioned, the twins and the mom statements, the overselling for this way I see it from you know, KD and Youngster coming out of the apartment and going, man, did everybody hear her screaming? There was so much screaming. Did you guys hear the screaming? Did you hear the screaming? Going across the street and talking to Cena Sullivan and saying, man, did you hear the screaming? She was screaming so loud. Everybody should have heard her screaming. They're overselling that. Uh, she's lying about her alibi. And then, and then throw in the fact that the wallet is found in her apartment. I don't think there's any getting around. The only getting around Eva being involved is if Jennifer did it. And that makes no sense to me. It just, it doesn't work. I'm sure there's still people that think she is. I'm still open-minded to that. And we're going to continue investigating, but there's just, in my opinion, at this point, there's just no way when you, when you break down her, she shows no guilty knowledge in her confession. She's got fictitious made up characters. She never points the finger in the direction of who actually did it. If these two guys don't exist to try to buy her, to to try to get herself a lighter sentence or a plea bargain to get out of it. Uh, And and not only does she not show guilty knowledge in her earlier statements, she shows incorrect knowledge. And then we see more incorrect knowledge demonstrated. Uh, We see police mistakes demonstrated through her statement in the, what they thought was blood on the plastic in the silverware drawer. So yeah, I think that, that uh, in in my opinion, Eva is most likely involved at this point. I'm not saying she is. I'm not accusing her, but I'm saying the way I see it, she's the one that needs the most investigation. Personally, I don't think that she actually killed Catalina, but I, I definitely think she knows who did. Ari has two questions. When you were in Texas, were you able to interview or find Eva or even anyone closer to her unconnected to this case? No. And I'm continuing to do so. I'm, I'm sure by this point, there's a high likelihood that word will get back around to her. So that'll probably become more difficult. I wanted to interview her before she was really brought up on the podcast. I had no idea this is where the podcast was going this early. Uh, but no, I tried, to, I tried to track her down and I ended up at the, her last known address and found out that she had just, that, she had just sold that house and uh, new people were moving in like within a couple of weeks of me being there. But no, I'm, I'm going to continue to try to locate her. I don't suspect that she's going to want to give an interview, but I'm going to do my best to get one. Okay, and our next question, which is our last question. I know you will do an episode covering the autopsy, but do we know that Catalina was killed that morning? If there wasn't actually any screaming back and forth, and the only scream that happened was the body being discovered, the one June heard, then could she have been killed the night before? Uh, it's not something we can rule out. I do have the autopsy. Haven't I haven't really picked through it thoroughly yet, and that episode is coming. So, so this is what you can expect. Uh, I, I will say this to answer the question: a certified nurse did CPR on her. That would indicate to me that she was not killed the night before. If she was killed the night before, she would be cold and stiff, and I don't think she would have done CPR. So, my guess is her body was still warm and and pliable, which would meant that she hasn't been dead very long. But we're going to get into the autopsy report soon. So this is the plan. The episode you're going to hear Sunday, as I mentioned last week and I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I was on vacation this week. So Mike and I are recording this late and we've pre-recorded the episode you're going to hear 
this Sunday. In this episode, you're finally going to hear from Jennifer. Uh, you're going to hear her backstory. You're going to hear her in her own words. Um, tell about you know where she came from, what life in prison is like. Let you get to know her a little bit and get a good feel for Jennifer. That's what's coming this Sunday. And the next week uh, is when I'm going to break down the autopsy and go over the medical evidence. So that's coming soon. So make sure you check out both of those. Uh, please, if you haven't done so already, give uh, True Crime Binge a listen. I would love for you guys to go check out some really cool interviews we have there. Um, in the last two weeks, we've had uh, both Dr. Sachs and Dr. Schlossberg from their two podcasts, which are the Women in Crime podcast, who just this week did a great episode on the Sandy Melgar case, our season six case. So that's worth listening to. And definitely the interviews. These They're both doctors. They have PhDs in criminology. They're fascinating ladies. Uh, very talented, and we talk about and really dig into some really cool cases on both of those episodes. So that's episode seven and eight of True Crime Binge. Please give that a listen. Make sure you tune in on Sunday, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kay Wood Yomnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd really like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a 5-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, Truth and Justice Pod. Just click the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at BobRuffTruth. Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G, and Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice.
seen the film, you know the game. Now, Jumanji just got real. Only in Chessington World of Adventures. Featuring Daredevil Dad, Mom on a Mission, and the kids who can't wait to ride the world's first Jumanji roller coaster. An epic adventure awaits. World of Jumanji. Only at Chessington World of Adventures. Book this summer's must-do day out at Chessington.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.